Hello, this is Jessica Baker with the Herb Walk Podcast. You know, I talk a lot about cannabis and some of you are stoked and that's what you want to hear about. And some of you are like, I really started listening to your show for herbalism, for aromatherapy, for Chinese medicine, and just this is me. You're going to get a little plethora of everything, a little taste of all the things that I do um, because I think it's important. And as somebody who I consider myself as an activist and proud to be an activist, and so I always want to promote the things that I believe need to be shared. And I know there's a lot of cannabis podcasts out there right now with all sorts of crazy information going on. And so um, I want to give you a slightly different perspective today of um, someone who's not an herbalist and not so much in the cannabis industry, but has had a long history of being a cannabis, um, you know, enthusiast and as well as an activist. And so today I'm very, very excited to share this episode with my longtime friend, Greg Davidson, and just share some personal stories about one man's journey with cannabis um, in California and just how we've watched the culture change, how we've seen um, people's biases change, also how it's just out there in the world. We'll talk a little bit about CBD. We're definitely going to talk about Greg's journey with healing um, his own cancer with um, cannabis and other herbal remedies, as well as utilizing um, all of the things that Western medicine had to offer him as well. He really had, he took a very um, well-rounded approach to his healing. So I feel like it's an important story for people to hear. So sit back, have a cup of tea, and enjoy this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. Welcome to the show. I appreciate you being on with us today. Hello, Jessica. It's a pleasure to uh, be interviewed by you. <laughs> well, tell us a little about yourself, um, where you grew up, and if you had a relationship to plant medicine as a, as a child. Um, I was uh, born at the very end of the baby boom, 1959, up in Placerville, California, which was a great place to grow up. Um, it's about 10 miles from where gold was discovered, and there uh, are several gold mines in Placerville as well. So it was really a, a great town to uh, grow up in. Um, I lived in town until I was uh, 10 years old, and my parents uh, swapped husbands and wives with uh, another couple, which was quite the uh, quite the uh, doings in Placerville in 1969 and all of my uh, my 
both my parents and my step parents were in uh, high visibility jobs, so everybody knew everything about everything. And it was actually years before I knew what was going on. Um, my dad was a linesman with uh, Pacific Bell, and my uh, and he was very very nice guy. He's still alive to this day. Great guy. Um, and then my stepdad uh, was a highway patrolman. Now I went to uh, high school at a at a, a place where about a third of the students were back then. We called them burnout. They they were the ones that got high. Well, I was probably of all the people in my class who smoked, I was probably actually the last one to smoke. I had the stepdad who was a highway patrolman, so I had no exposure to the plant other than my stepdad telling me how evil it was and uh, that kind of stuff. So not really uh, any, I, I wasn't a puffer until until uh, after high school, which I know that, that that doesn't seem like a big deal. But when all of your friends could have long hair and smoke weed and you couldn't, it was a big deal. So was it respect <laughs> for your stepfather, fear, or just misinformation and you really didn't know? It just it didn't appeal to you at the time. 100% fear. 100% fear. It absolutely appealed to me, but um, you know, I knew that that it was never going to happen. Now, my mom, uh, the guy was uh, the guy was abusive, so my mom ended up divorcing him, and I actually moved out uh, as soon as I got my driver's license when I turned 16. I moved out and moved back into town and finished up finished up high school, and then uh, got a job uh, right after that. Which brings us up to uh, the beginning of my relationship to cannabis, if you'd like me to just keep riffing. <laughs> yeah, tell us um, your first experience to cannabis, how old you were, and what that experience was like for you. Um, I was, let me think, I was uh, 17. Just short of my 18th birthday, I was working at a plumbing and electrical slash feed and hay store in Placerville, and I was working with a, a guy who was a year older than me, and his name was Dennis, and Dennis uh, was my introduction to cannabis. He invited me to smoke a joint with him after work one day. And I did. And the experience was uh, somewhere between terrifying and absolutely hilarious. I uh, had to drive home after puffing, and I somehow got into this weird thing of counting the paddle markers on the side of the road and counting, counting the utility poles as well. And then dividing how many uh, paddle markers there were between each uh, of the uh, uh, utility poles. So it was 
it was obviously a sativa dominant uh, thing that made my brain just race and race and race. But about a week later, I went out to Dennis's house and uh, puffed again, and I was I was uh, full blown uh, uh, after that. <laughs> so since seven, you know almost eighteen years old, you've been pretty much a nonstop smoker. I mean, maybe you've taken some breaks here and there, but for the most part, cannabis has been in your life since then. Yes. Yes, uh, the longest break that I took um, from then until now was the four years that I was in the uh, Air Force. And was that right after you turned 18, or did you wait a while before you joined the Air Force? Uh, I joined the Air Force when I was 20. So I, I worked for a few years in uh, Placerville, but, but really the... The two main uh, industries up there then was uh, uh, Apple Hill, uh, which is still going this day and is a huge tourist uh, attraction. And I worked there for a while. And then the other, back then, the, the biggest employer in town was the uh, lumber mills. And I had several uncles and cousins that were missing fingers from working in the lumber mills. And that, that uh, made my decision easy for me. I didn't want to do that. So I did join the, I did join the uh, military uh, when I was 20. And then what did you do after you got out of the military? Because by the time I met you, I feel like you were in medical billing. And so was that a transition that happened right after the military? No. So uh, I got out of the military September 28th of 84, and on November 13th of 1984, while helping a friend with his janitor's business, um, I, needed a, I needed a bridge between, I had signed a contract after the military with Ford Aerospace and was going to go to work for Ford Aerospace down in Texas. But I needed, uh, you know, something to do in the meantime. And that turned out to be helping my friend with his janitor's business. And one night on our way from uh, Camino down to Placerville, we got caught in the first rainstorm of the year. And he hit a patch of pine needles. And it was just like hitting black ice. Uh, we went off the road and uh, broke my back. That's how I became paralyzed. And um, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, Jessica, but my first job, my first way to make money after I became uh, paraplegic in a wheelchair was I provided daycare to six kids from uh, ages six weeks to four years old. And it was, uh, it was great. I mean, kids just love me anyway. Uh, always have. I think it's something about my voice. Um, and I had a friend who was going back to work, and she needed somebody to take care of her babies. You know, her maternity leave was up. And then she had a three-year-old as well. And I said, well, I would do it, you know, thinking it was just going to be a short time thing. And it actually built into a big business um, where I actually had 
six kids. And, and when I tell people the story about how I took care of kids from a wheelchair, they just are amazed. But I did it. Those kids are adults now. And uh, it, it was just, it was great. So I did that for a couple of years. And then I met a guy um, who needed uh, live-in daycare because he and his wife both worked. And right about the same time, I had a neighbor across the street um, who was a tweaker. And he somehow got it into his head that I was having an affair with his wife and came over when I came home from dinner one night and attacked me in my front yard uh, and sent me to the hospital uh, after beating me up. And I was, was like, well, I can't live in this neighborhood anymore. So I found uh, I found a transitional place with some friends. And then my friend said, you know, we really need a live-in, like uh, Al Pair, you know, somebody who can do laundry and cook and all that. And I said, hey, I can do all that. So I moved in with them and had been living with them for a few months. And that's when I met Elaine, my wife. My wonderful, wonderful wife, um, who, who we all love uh, dearly. Yes, who I love dearly and uh, loves both you and, and Chip, just uh, like family. Um, so after I met Elaine, uh, Elaine had brought some work home one night and was sitting at the kitchen table there doing it. And one of the things that you had to do was source the records, and you did that by putting a letter that corresponded to Mercy Medical Center or UC Davis Hospital or Dr. John Smith or whoever. And you would put a letter on the bottom corner of the page, and, and I watched her do that, and I said, well, I could do that. And that's how I be, that was the birth of my uh, medical record uh, indexing. It was actually called medical record abstract. That's great. And I've always known you've been great with kids. Now it's all coming together, and and I know why now. Um, yep. When when was the first time you actually started growing your own cannabis for medicinal purposes? And we'll just preface this by saying, you know, medical cannabis has been legal to grow in California for over twenty years. So. You know, <laughs> when did you start growing medical cannabis <laughs> for well, yourself? Um, okay, I'm gonna have to go back a ways because this was not uh, this was years before Proposition 215. Uh, 19 so summer of 1977. I thought this stuff is for me. Uh, I come from a uh, family that's very riddled with alcoholics. So I stay away from alcohol as much as possible. Um, so I got some seeds out of the bottom of a bag and took them down to the marshy swampland uh, down uh, in a semi-private place that I knew about and just stuck the seeds in the marshy swampland. And they actually, some of them sprouted and grew and they got to about maybe eight to ten inches high and some deer came and ate all of them <laughs> so, so my first my first go around was not so great um the second time i tried it 
I grew a single plant that was three and a half pounds, and it was some of the best chocolatey tasting, uh, real dense buds ever. I mean, it was just a gigantic, huge plant that I grew from bag seed. Um, so then I, of course, I was using it for medical purposes. Um, but then when Proposition 215 came along, then of course it made it uh, a lot easier, gave me some protections. And by then we were living uh, down here in Galt where we currently live. And I had grown in the backyard for uh, many years. Never had, never had any problems with the neighbors, never had any problems with the code enforcement, city council, city police, nobody. And at what point, when I met you, when Chip and I met you, Chip was a member of a, um, a an online chat group because that's how you used to have to like work with people back in the day. It was an online chat group. And, um, Correct. And I was pretty scared of all the people in the chat group, to be honest. I wasn't, and still I'm not really like an internet, like meet people kind of person. Um, right. Although now we're like, we've been friends now for 15 plus years because of Chip and you meeting on the internet and in the Cannabis World Growers Association. How did you get involved with that group and how did you even know how to reach out to people like us who are also searching for friends like you? Well, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stick to the uh, text that you gave me because this all uh, this all rolls in together. So I found out about the can we were we were called the CWGA Cannabis World Growers Association. Cannabis World was the secret uh, internet site that we had. All the servers were up in Canada and. Um, you could feel, you know, somewhat open about talk, talking about the herb uh, with people on there because you had to have an introduction from from somebody. So at the time, I was working as uh, to supplement my other income. I was working as an itinerant trimmer, and I would go uh, up to our mutual friend Charlie's up in Willis, and I would stay for a day or two in a hotel and then go out to his place and trim all day long. I mean, just trim, 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 trim. And I was there one day, and this self-described dirty hippie pulled up in his car, which it was obvious he was living out of. And he comes over, he's got this deep southern accent, and a uh, backpack. He pulls out, the, he puts the backpack up on the table and starts pulling out these mason jars full of weed. Now, remember, this is 15-plus years ago, and back then, nobody used mason jars. Everybody put their bag in a sack. Some of us used Ziploc bags, but, you know, still not the greatest thing. And this guy had his weed in mason jars. So I start talking to him, and after about 
maybe an hour and three joints, I thought to myself, this guy is somehow going to blow cannabis up big time. I didn't know how, but you could tell his love for the plant, his knowledge of the plant, and all of that was just beyond anything that, that I uh, had encountered to that point. So um, he invited me to a party, a uh, grower's party, uh, kind of a harvest harvest get-together that was held uh, a little farther up Highway 101. He says, come on up. He says, and, and uh, my girl, Jessie's going to be there. I said, okay. So I go to the party, walk in, or roll in, to be more accurate, and there's a, there's a, a very nice-looking young lady uh, playing a game of foosball, four-person four, uh, foosball. And she is tearing that table up. I mean, she is just making the table go crazy. And Chip nudges me and says, that's my girl, Jessie. <laughs> and that, that right there is uh, one of my favorite stories you asked me uh, about my some of my favorite stories. That right there is one of my favorite stories because, as you know, that young man turned out to be your husband, Chip, and of course you were the Jesse in Fuskin. <laughs> and uh, I just I just loved you guys right from the right from the start. We were very much kindred spirits, and uh, so that's. That's one of my that's one of my uh, best weed stories because uh, sure enough that guy has gone on to blow it up in California and blow it up in Colorado and now he's in the process of blowing it up down in Oklahoma and I could not be more proud of both of you I I just I really really am. Aw, Greg, thank you for saying that. We we love you guys too. We love you and Elaine. And the from the moment we met you, we knew we were gonna be lifelong friends. You know, you just know, like in that moment was like, Oh, we have so much to talk about already and we just met each other. Exactly. Hey, give me uh give me one second here. My joints uh running a little bit. You are puffing, aren't you? Yeah, no. As soon as I realized you were going into a weed story, I um, I lit up for sure because I was like, right no, on. I got to roll up, roll it up before I smoke, you know, before I talk to Greg because I'm never going to want right to smoke on. together, even though we're not together. Yeah. Um, but we're, but we're doing it. But we're doing it. We're doing it. Absolutely. So my other, uh, my other, my other favorite uh, story is also from uh, one of Ron's parties. I'm actually one of the uh, few people who can say that I smoked Jack Herrera with Jack Herrera. Oh, I miss Jack Herrera, and I love smoking I miss, Jack Herrera with Jack Herrera. I, I, I miss him, too. I miss him, too. But uh, he was a good dude. He was a good dude, and uh, I just happened to have some Jack Herrera, and somebody made the introduction, and I was like, dude, I got to smoke some Jack Herrera with Jack Herrera. <laughs> so that's one of my that's one of my uh that's one of my favorite stories so yeah that's how i got involved with the cwta we had um we had uh an annual competition amongst ourselves 
and this will be my last weed story, and then we we can move on. I uh, I had first place locked up one year with just some killer killer genius. I mean, I had spent every day out there just giving it the love, and it turned out so great. And uh, so I we uh, do the you know the judging is mostly done. And holy smokes, I'm sitting in first place. I'm going to win this custom-made bong. And my best friend, Shaheen, who is also friends with you and Chef, shows up 15 minutes before the competition ends <laughs> with some of the dankest indoor sour diesel and blows me out of the water and takes my bong from me. I, oh, that guy. But Damn, now, Shaheen. Damn Sheen, and and if you don't mind, I'd like to give him a shout out because my boy is now the uh, president, CEO, founder, and uh, main dude at Seven O Seven Seed Bank. And uh, if you're looking for some seeds, you could do a heck of a lot worse than Seven O Seven Seed Bank. Look him up on the internet. Um, yeah, and I'll just second that to say, um, you know. We have the 707 Kush and the Granddaddy Dog from 707 Seeds, and um, that shit's dope. It's super dope. Yeah. And yeah. we love it. Yeah. And, like, it's all about, I mean, this isn't really um, on the agenda or anything, but, you know, I like loose conversations. So, like, you know, as people who've been in the, you know, we've been around weed for a long time, and we know what good breeders are and what good genetics are, and I find that's being right. diluted in this new quote unquote cannabis industry. And right. um, it's really just like, there's some bad, I feel like the weed's getting worse because it's legal. Whereas when it was more on the underground, it was like, we had to strive for the best or we wanted to. And now everyone's like, just wants to make money off it. Not that we didn't, yeah. you know, it's just like, I don't know. It's different. It's a little disturbing to me. I just see some really, you know, not so good genetics being passed around. Um, and a bunch of people profiting off spreading bad genetics. So I appreciate yeah. people who are still good quality breeders. You know, it's important. Yeah. Well, look at uh, look at some of the uh, the people that we know, like uh, Fletcher. You know, it's just uh, when I met when I when I first met Fletcher, he was like fourteen years old, but he knew his stuff even then. And, uh, you know, he's this just, is Archive just, Seed Bank for those people who don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I should have given a shout out to Archive Seed Bank. He's, he's also got some uh, outstanding stuff. Uh, if we you love don't go to all seven, his genetics. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you, if you uh, wanted to if you wanted to start, you know, with a pack from Archive and a pack from 707, you could uh, certainly do a lot worse. Um, so that, uh, you know, that. That's kind of uh, and, and between uh, between Chip and uh, Shaheen, those have kind of been my mentors uh, to to get my to get my uh, growing skills and uh, the few times that I've done some breeding projects to get them up to uh, the quality that they that they should be. Yep. So, so speaking of freeform, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm reading you, your questions. But if you don't mind, I mean, 
you know, because uh, I because I really think that this is is going to dovetail right into what we were talking about with the with the uh, drop off in genetics. Um, you wanted to you wanted to ask uh, what I have noticed about cannabis culture in California since legalization passed. Yeah. Without without giving away too much inside knowledge here of Jessica's workings, <laughs> but uh, so here's what I here's what I sketched out on that. Uh, it's been a total clusterfuck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're paying we're paying higher prices for mids. You cannot see them ahead of time. There's a hell of a lot of bait and switch going on where they will have a jar, you know, they'll open a jar. Everything's in jars now in California. For those of you who aren't familiar, everything in California is in jars now. Glass jars, if you're lucky, because they're recyclable, recyclable, uh, or plastic jars, or maybe even uh, plastic uh, Ziploc bags that uh, you cannot see through, one of those resealable bags. So there's a lot of bait and switch going on. They'll have something out and it just looks super dank, and you're like, "Yeah, give me an eighth of that." And you get it home, it's like it's not even the same weed. Um, there's a huge, and this really, really bugs me. There has been a huge influx of plastic into uh, into what used to be a paper bag kind of market. And now everything is is wrapped in plastic, packaged in plastic, put in plastic, and then put in a sealed plastic bag for you to be able to take it out of the dispensary. Yeah, it's ridiculous. As a dispensary owner, I have to say that um, this is ridiculous. Not only is it overregulated with the weight, with the packaging, it's like it's easier to get into a bottle of alcohol and some Oxycontin than it is to get into a cannabis package, which is ridiculous. Um, yeah. And it's just plastic. It's trash. We were supposed to be like the hippies who cared about the earth, and now we're, we're there's just too much plastic. And I know some people who own some of those companies who – you know, are perpetuating the childproof plastic packaging. And I was like, why don't you guys be on the forefront and go to like something biodegradable? Can we have biodegradable plastic at least? And it always comes down to the bottom line. And people are like, you can't make as much money. Like plastic is just so cheap. And I'm like, yeah, and it's killing the planet and all of us. Yeah, We have to have an alternative to the plastics. So we're choking um, the, you know, we're choking the world. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit, uh, you know, a baggie at a time. Yeah, we're, cho- we're choking the world a baggie at a time. Um, and the other thing, I, you know, I I don't like going into a dispensary. You used to be able to go into a dispensary before Proposition sixty four, uh, which for those of you who are from listening, maybe out of state, this was our latest go around at full on legalization of recreational, and it it, it got way worse there is no no such thing as medical anymore there's no such thing as medical patients anymore there's no such thing as getting a discount for being a medical patient anymore so the uh there's no so there's no incentive to go in and get a doctor's recommendation so that's that's 
killing off a whole section of the market that used to be there. Then you go in, and because everything is in these small jars, it's it by nature it's got to be mid to down to popcorn sized stuff, you know. So the days of being able to get a nice nice looking cola, those are gone. Um, there's no there's no uh, education given to the given to the bud tenders uh, at most places. I mean, some places will make a point to do it, but other places, you know, you might as well be buying uh, a pair of shoes or a pack of cigarettes or uh, you know any other commodity. It's it, it's really treated as a as a commodity uh, now because of uh, the changes. There's been some there's been some good uh, good things, you know, um, but on, on the on the downside, uh, it's so so much more heavily regulated. Like where I'm sitting right now, I'm between Stockton and Sacramento. In between Stockton and Sacramento, there's easily a million people. Probably, probably closer to a million and a half. There's not one single dispensary between Stockton and Sacramento, which is a distance of about 60 miles, roughly. I mean, it's just, you know, we're in the valley. Uh, the farmers hold sway here. And, you know, uh, the biggest thing is people don't want to smell it. Well, I've been growing in my backyard for 15 plus years. And when it became legal this year, then uh, I wanted to I wanted to uh, go a little bigger. I hope that plane's not going to mess with us, Jessica. Sorry, I'm in the glide path for uh, Lodi Airport. He's just about out of sight. Back to it? Yep, you're good. All right. So I... Um, I just uh, am really disappointed in the way it's been rolled out. Uh, and the biggest thing for me is uh, the the whole smell factor. That is such bogus nonsense. Because when I, I, this year, I didn't have to keep it small. I didn't have to keep it stealthy. I didn't have to keep it on the down low. So I went to all of my neighbors. All of my neighbors have been the same neighbors for the 15 years that I've been growing here. And they, I, and I told them, and they said, really? I never knew a thing. So there goes the whole smell factor, because our neighbor's house is 20 feet from ours. We're, you know, we're, we're in the suburb here. Right. <clears throat> so the whole smell thing and I and I went and lobbied the city council uh, to allow outdoor growing, and they they just would not have it. They will allow indoor growing, which is really short sighted because we both know then it in the first place it's not meant to be grown indoors. It's meant to be grown under the sun. In the second place, you're going to end up tearing up the inside of the house. You have people jacking electricity, which is a fire hazard. It's just, you know, it's just such backwards thinking. But, um, you know, like I say, the farmers hold sway 
here in town and the and the little old ladies that don't want to smell it when they go out in their backyard so yeah and uh, the, and agriculture why they want to keep that land they don't want weed to take it over because it is a high commodity you know yeah yeah yep and we had uh we had some people come in and they wanted to do a huge uh, facility outside of town, uh, growing, processing the whole thing, and they just wouldn't have it. They just would would not go for it. So uh, now, well, on the hey, hey, you know, um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, the positive things that have happened since California legalization. Um, Greg's favorite strains to grow and smoke, and also his experience as a medical cannabis patient and how he's been treated in the allopathic medical community. Um, so stay tuned, and we'll be back with The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. back talking to Greg about what's going on in the cannabis culture in California since legalization. Um, thanks again for joining us, Greg. I'm really enjoying oh, our discussion. it's a pleasure to be with you, Jessica. So what are some of the positive things you've noticed about um, what's going on with cannabis since Proposition 64 passed? Well, that's going to happen uh, right now, this very second, live for your listeners, while you set up our uh, next segment. And that is my ability to sit out on my front patio whenever I want to and fire up a joint, wave to the police officers if they, if and when they drive by, they wave back, and uh, it's all good. So right now, um, I'm going to fire up a joint of some uh, SFB OG while oh. Jessica sets, yeah, 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 right, while Jessica sets up our next segment, which is probably going to be Greg's favorite. I know this is Greg's favorite, and I had to fire it up too. I'm actually firing up an old school strain, um, Angola Thai crossed with Irene, and um, it's not the prettiest to look at. A lot of people would just like poo poo it because, you know, it looks bag appeal. It's yeah, the bag appeal is not so great, um, which I know it's it's hard, but um, oh, this is sweet. But it's right one of my now, favorites. Right now, my. Uh, yard squirrel is sitting about 10 feet away watching the the whole thing going down <laughs> i don't watching know he may, he may want a hit of this sfbog you know he so does that, and for yeah. those of you who don't know he's talking san Fernand, san fernando valley og um so is that one of your favorite strains like let's talk let's talk about that a little bit or cultivars really but you know we we all just call them strains so we're calling them strains today no like fancy words strains today so um i'm going to break this down for you in 
to two parts, my uh, favorite strains to grow, and then uh, we can talk about that a little bit, and uh, then my favorite strains to smoke. Mm. So um, favorite strains to grow, um, we, where we live is very hot and very dry, and uh, sour diesel does really well here. Um, now, I've got to preface this, this segment with the uh, knowledge of, uh, lay some knowledge on your uh, listeners, that I am a huge fan of uh, what we call the fuel oil uh, tasting strain or, or, or fuely. Uh, anything that tastes like diesel fuel or has a smell uh, like uh, cleaning solvent, which I know. <laughs> I. But but it's true, right, Jessica? I mean, what's one of the most popular strains out there? Cactus. Um, cactus. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Cactus. And and you know you got through cactus when it smells like cactus. So I don't it know. Smells we're, like ammonia. Yeah. Uh, uh, us uh, us uh, cannabis users are crazy people. We come up with with crazy names uh, like donkey butter and yeah. uh, and sour diesel, but but. For me, I like those. I love. I like those type of strains. So uh, sour diesel always does great here in the hot, dry conditions. It's a very uh, easy plant to grow. Usually, just top it once, and uh, you'll get some massive colas off of it. Um, number two is uh, the San Fernando Valley OG that I'm smoking right now. Um, I have three reasons that I uh, like San Fernando Valley OG. Uh, it gets really big, first off. Secondly, it's also very easy to grow. And third, it gets real big. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, uh, when you've got a, and that's, that's really important. And that's something uh, that, that Chip and I have talked about. When you have a, a limited Space and you don't want stuff getting over a top of a six foot privacy fence. You you find certain strains uh, that work for you that you can uh, manipulate the plant. And uh, uh, San Fernando OG fits that fits that bill. Uh, and uh, really, uh, it, it does really well. Uh, topping it like this three or four or even five times, it'll just get you more and more and more colas. So uh, now I'm getting all off into the weeds there. Uh, number three. Number three is my boy, Shaheen's Chemdog 91. Mm, mm, that is a really good one. Right? There's, there's a lot of Chemdogs out there, but this plant is... Uh, and, and we're talking about growing. So this this plant is uh, everything you want as a grower. It's uh, incredibly consistent from uh, plant to plant. I mean, it, it just they all look the same. Um, you don't have to do much to it. If you top it twice, you'll wind up with a plant that looks like uh, a menorah. Of mm. weed, yeah, mm -hmm. it just just these nice, Kim, yeah, those Kim dogs they like to do that, yeah, these nice, really consistent, like uh, 
six-inch. You don't get the huge colas that you will get on other plants, but you get a lot of six to eight-inch long uh, top buds uh, from that. Um, and then uh, it, at the end of the season, it's also very nice because I, I find it to be a real easy to trim uh, plant. A long time ago, uh, this reminds me of a, a story. A long time ago, I, when I was working as an itinerant trimmer, I was working for this young couple and uh, this really nice, up until that point, very nice uh, young lady that, that I was working for uh, decided that I was talking too much. To, to, to my own no. wife yes yes to my own <laughs> wife and and uh uttered the uh immortal phrase <laughs> and what is it jessica you know it i less, know it you know it <laughs> less lip less no, more lip. less lip more clip <laughs> there you go less lip more clip and and that phrase was uttered by jessica and totally hey. put me in my you're totally allowed to talk as much place. as you want as long as you keep trimming. That's right. the whole thing. So, you can you have to be able to clip and lip at the same time. Right. You've got to be able <laughs> to work your jaw and your and your fingers at the same time. So so those are three of my. Uh, <laughs> I'm so glad I was able to work that story in. I just love it. Every every year uh, I, I'm able to work it into some trimming operation. Less less lip and more clip. Um, so those are three of my three of my uh, favorites and um, ones that are usually always available. Um, uh, another shout out to a company called Dark Heart Nurseries. Um, if you're having trouble here in California finding uh, good quality clones, search out uh, Dark Heart Nurseries because I've always had really good luck with him and then and then sean helps me out with uh any of his chem dog crosses are always the bomb but the chem dog 91 that's just that if you can find that uh uh get your hands on this and, and grow it so now greg's going to tell you his favorite strains to smoke and and jessica is going to recognize all three of these stories Number one is uh, flow. Number oh, flow! One, right, and which I'm I feel like of, now we would consider flow an auto flower, but that's a whole another conversation. Exactly, and and you remember Tony? Uh, love Tony. Tony don't smoke OG. Tony don't smoke OG. Uh, Tony uh, went by the name of Budular uh, back then. And uh, he came up to, to Charlie's with his flow, and I just fell in love. I just fell in love with it, and uh, met up with him down in San Francisco a couple of weeks later, and bought every bit of it that that he had uh, uh, for sale. And I, it was just for me, it was the perfect all day smoke. I it, it seemed. To have Jessica, maybe you know more about the the uh, why this would happen, and 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 perhaps Chip as well. But I could smoke it in the morning, and it'd be great wake and bake smoke. And I could smoke it during the day, and it'd be great midday smoke. And I could smoke it at bedtime, and it'd be great bedtime smoke. I could take a joint to a party, and light it up, and people would just swarm on me. 
So I maybe it's something about me more than flow, but all I know is we've had the chip and I have had this conversation many, many times, you know, name your, name your top three. And even this is uh, about 12 years ago that I was hanging with, hanging with Tony, um, uh, as we like to call him, um, that, uh, and I haven't seen the flow since I have not, I have not been able to find, uh, flow since. And, and like Jessica says, it's, uh, you know, what we would consider old school strain nowadays. I mean, you just don't see it anymore. No, um, I haven't seen flow in a long time. Not real flow. I've heard people say the words flow, but it's not what I remember as flow. You know? No, no, not at all. Um, so number two, uh, sour diesel. Simply, yeah. be- simply because it's sour diesel. Yeah, it's got that fuel oil taste. And a great high. And um, for those of you who follow Jessica uh, real closely, she's done some uh, interesting writing and very educational writing on uh, the differences between sativas and indicas. And are there really even uh, sativas and indicas out there anymore? And I always always thought that uh, sour diesel was more of a, "Quote unquote indica dominant, and uh, smoked it for years, loved it, and uh, Chip and I were talking one time, and he said, you know, it's kind of funny that you like sour diesel so much because it's so sativa dominant. I was like, oh, what? So you you learn something new all the time. I think it's uh, just the way it grows. People would give that characteristic as a sativa dominant." trait although we know indicas can grow like sativas can grow and sativas can grow short and stout like we would consider an indica so you know it's just poor you know don't even get me started on that conversation of sativa indica Greg. i know <laughs> they For can me, listen to that episode on the real dirt where i went off on sativa and indica but shout um, out shout out <laughs> for the real dirt I know, I know, Mister Dirt. I'm I'm allowed to call him the real. So you're you know. <laughs> correct. Okay, I, let's let's talk about the medical. Hold on, number. Let's, let's do number <laughs> oh, we're three. not done with the strains. Okay, Jessica, okay. No, number three would be genius. Of course, uh, people genius. don't even know what the genius people, is. People people have no idea, and you can't and you can't find it. And you can't it, find it. People it's claim legend. in Oklahoma to have it. I am extremely dubious about that. Yeah, it's legendary. It's mythical. I knew I knew a guy who had a, a mother of the real, the real genius, and it was just awesome. And but you know now now it's gone to history. So Jessica, let's talk about how. Uh, hey, hey, Greg, hang on one second. Let's go okay. into the genius for a minute. Um, oh yeah, let's do it. Let's just do for it. a second, because yeah. people just you know. People are like, okay, so they're going off about this thing called the genius. They're probably exaggerating, but t- but we're not. It was not. It's not easy to grow, which really is why it never really got mainstream. One, it was kept tight. It was definitely yeah. kept tight, but it was not yeah. the easiest to grow. So, what no. was it really about the genius that makes it so appealing? 
All right, once again, we're going to get into a, a description, and people are going to be like, ew, you know, like when I was talking about cat piss. But here is the way I have always described genius. It was like picking up a can of lemon pledge and taking a hit off of that. It was the, it was the, the most lemony uh, plant that I've ever tasted. Uh, it was a huge, like Jessica says, gigantic pain in the ass to grow. Very low yielding, but it was one of those boutique strains that was just so good. And um, another thing I re always re will remember about Genius is doing the the dry sift teeth off of it, mm -hmm. uh, which don't even get me started on that because teeth is not teeth. Teeth is a Moroccan product where they just chop up the whole plant. What I'm talking about is the resin that comes off of the bud while you're while you're processing it. We call it a lot of people call it dry dry sift teeth. But it's actually the the trichrome coming off of the plant. The 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 resin that came off of Genius was like Snow White. I mean, it just was the most incredible, uh, high, very cerebral. Wouldn't you say, Jessica? I mean, it very I cerebral. Think, yes. I think one of the reasons they named it the Genius was because it made even stupid people just smart. And and <laughs> and it made smart people into geniuses. So. I don't know. Or it just made you walk around and like start a bunch of tasks, but not actually or and then like get so inspired about something else you would just move on to that thing instead. I felt no. like I remember trying to half I would clean the house, but each room would be like halfway because I would like move on to something else. Um, I just remember it being very uplifting and, um, but yeah, it was, but it was inspiring. I mean, I definitely yeah. remember like having lots of good conversations and ideas and being really motivated, but it was, I guess it things was, came out of it. I mean, we all, yeah. we've all come pretty far. If I had to give it a two word description, I'd say, uh, lemon and cerebral. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Love. Loved, loved it. See, um, now we would say, oh, is there lemonine in that? Because you said it was lemon, you know, but back then we didn't care if there was lemonine in that. I mean, I'm glad we care now because it is medicine and we it, should it, know what's actually happening because it is the terpenes and not the sativa indica that's giving you the response that you're looking for. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and lemonine. Limonene. Well, we're gonna we're gonna touch on that, I think, in our uh, in our next one. But I'll I'll let you introduce that, Jessica, while I uh, have a nice big hit of this. That's the OG. Are you just gonna smoke the San Fernando through the whole episode, or do you have joints to like switch based on conversations? Where were you the first half of this thing? I was smoking a joint of blue cookies. Oh, you! I didn't catch the blue cookie. I just <laughs> yeah, I'm you sure. know, I was smoking I the freaking. Angola Thai Irene, talk about like. Uh, so motivation. when I finished the blue cookies and we took our break, then I broke out the SFBOG, and nice. and and depending on how long this goes, I've got a joint of uh, Chem ninety one sitting here too. Ooh, okay, good, good. Okay, so you 
you know, you've been in California your whole life, you know, in terms of like your lifelong resident, you've seen the acceptance and you've seen, you know, the demonization of weed depending on who you are and where you are and at what era, but what has your personal experience been? Because, you know, you are paraplegic and you did have cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, so you've had a lot of time spent within the Western medical establishment. Yeah, um, way too much. <laughs> way too much. And you've also had some pretty like interesting experiences based on being a medical cannabis patient and really needing your medicine for muscle spasms and chronic pain. And, um, you know, just because hell, we should be able to use cannabis as medicine. Um but it, if you don't mind sharing some of your experiences within the medical establishment as a cannabis patient. Absolutely. I'm, and I'm probably um, as near uh, as you'll get to an expert on this, because, as Jessica says, because of my medical conditions, I, I had to see doctors quite a bit. Um, so for years, and uh, I've been in the... Uh, UC and uh, University of California system. We have a very nice uh, system here in the state of California where the uh, local hospitals are hooked in with the local universities and they pump out doctors and nurses um, from there. So because of me being a uh, University of California patient, I hid my uh, cannabis use for years, years. I, I'm sure I had doctors that probably suspected it, um, but I, if it ever came down to them asking me, I, I always said no, because it was enough to, back then, it was enough to get you kicked out of the, out of the system. I mean, it was sad, but it was true. And it still happens uh, in other states today. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I would say about maybe five years, no, maybe six or so years ago, I started loosening up. I got a really good doctor that I knew I could, that I knew I could talk to about it. And uh, while he did not encourage it, he also did not discourage it, and he also did not uh, write it up in my chart, you know, or anything like that. Then, like Jessica said or alluded to, in 2018, I got uh, cancer, um, specifically bladder cancer, and I went in to, I remember this you know, like every cancer patient does, the the doctor came in to the room and said, you have cancer. And I was, felt like I'd been punched in the gut. And uh, the next words out of his mouth, Jessica, were, do you use cannabis? Now, I, I've got a lot of tattoos. Um, even though I'm older, uh, it's pretty obvious that I may, I may be a heater. So, um, I, you know, I just felt comfortable with him. And, and the way he asked about it, I was like, well, yeah, I do. And he says, however much you're using, I want you to double it. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> My doctor is ordering me to 
start using more cannabis. And um, Jessica and I have had this conversation uh, in person and by phone and online. I credit a lot of my survival to uh, cannabis, to cannabis use. Um, as soon as I got my diagnosis, uh, we have a friend who has a uh, uh, CBD operation in Colorado, and I started getting uh, CBD oil from my friend Elliot. Hey, Elliot, how you doing, bud? And using that, and then um, because I knew that I was in the fight of my life, and because she has helped me at other times, um, uh, in a healer uh, and patient capacity, I reached out to Jessica, and Jessica put me on a regimen of uh, herbs, a proprietary blend that uh, came from a place in Berkeley. Uh, another friend of ours uh, sent me uh, reishi mushrooms, which make the most horrible tasting tea <laughs> in the world. But oh except, so good for you. Except for a substance known as chaga, which makes an even worse tea. <laughs> and, and I encourage I encourage people to uh to to use them. They're they're not tasty, but they will keep the they will keep uh they're both very potent cancer killers. Uh, and then at that point, that's when I became interested in studying up on um, the terpenes that are in the the different strains of marijuana. And I found that two of the most powerful uh, uh, terpenes to fight cancer were in almost all of the Grains that I like, and and specifically, uh, lemony, lemony, which is uh, which is a huge, huge cancer killer. Limonene can actually be found in the uh, peel of citrus fruit, um, and, and 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 that's the stuff that usually squirts in your eye, and your eye burns for like an hour. <laughs> 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 but just know. Just know that you've also gotten uh, your dose of cancer killers for the for the day. So um, you won't get ocular cancer. Just squeeze a little lemon rind juice in your eye. Squeeze a little lemon rind juice in your eye. <laughs> Jessica, let's take let's take a quick break. Uh, okay. Mailman's oh. Here. oh, mailman. Okay, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with Greg on the Herb Walk. And we're back. 
with Greg on the Herb Walk podcast, talking about his experience as a medical patient. So you were pretty shocked when um, the doctor told you to double your dose. And now I really, you, like, you know, about lemonades. There's a lot going on. I, I feel like I'm, I'm surprised that they were so down for the... Um, for smoking, for smoking weed too. Did they I offer was, any research on that or they were just like, do it? He was just like, he asked me straight up and it, and it was the first time that I answered straight up that I felt comfortable answering straight up. I was like, you know, I've got cancer. What, what, you know, it can go much worse than I've got cancer. So it was the first time the doctor asked, asked me straight up I answered him straight up, and he totally surprised me by saying, use as much as you can, because he obviously believed, even though he's a Western doctor, even though he's in the UC system, he knows, he's done his research on it, and he knows that it is a potent cancer killer, and a, a great tumor fighter and he obviously feels empowered and uh you know uh is free enough to give that advice to his patients and i i just love him i just love him i uh, now uh i just had my uh two year checkup and of course they do all sorts of uh scans and labs and everything came back crystal clear i'm now two years cancer free yay that's so i'm so stoked i remember when you were going through that that was so hard to to watch and you know you were you're such you handled it like a champ we always talk about how strong you are and how that's not always easy to hear but, um, oh yeah! Now but, you're making me blush. I know. I like to make you blush. But so, but I do. But I do like to hear it because because yes, I I have been through a lot, and um, any cancer patient will tell you when that doctor comes in and says you have cancer, it's just like it's the worst. And I do I do feel like I handled it with strength and determination. But I also know, and and you know this, um, I put together a Facebook group uh, called Greg, uh, Greg's Cancer Team. And um, I had people from, uh, people with as much training as Jessica uh, to just people that were uh, really good friends and a couple of family members. And I and I bought us all, Jessica. What did I buy us all? I bought us hats, and it says "fuck cancer." Cancer. <laughs> and and we all have those hats, and uh, yeah, I, I kicked cancer's ass. So, and I think but, I, I think it's important just because you know I'm a healthcare provider, and I think what we're touching on is that you had such a good support group of healing around you, you know, be it like practitioners or friends or, you know, and that's so important to the healing process too. I mean, you had herbs, you had cannabis, which of course is an herb. You changed your diet, you used allopathic medicine, and you had a huge support system. So I think, I mean, that's so important. 
And it's just important as a a person who works with people to like, you can't underestimate the power of your community around you. Yeah. Well, and I, and I've told my turn to make you blush. Um, and I told you this many times, I think that my cancer fight was a three legged stool and it was, uh, my doctor, Dr. Delara at UC. Uh, it was Jessica and everything that she brought. Uh, her knowledge that she brought, and it was me and my my determination to be a cancer survivor. And between the three of us, you know, it was a we were an unstoppable team, unstoppable. But Jessica, um, I'm going to take this chance again to thank you from the bottom of my heart because you really stepped up and and like I say, you know, without without that third leg. I don't think I would have been able to do it because Western medicine is not all it's cracked up to be. You, you no, need to bring it's in. It's lacking. <laughs> you need to bring in, and, and it helps to have that person that you bring in also be a friend for 15 plus years. So thank yeah. you again, Jessica. Oh, Greg, you're welcome. Anytime. It's like we had to get you better. You know, right. we had to get you better. Right. Right. So um, I think you wanted to know about my uh, my experiences uh, with cannabis as medicine. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like how have, because you've, you know, you've used cannabis as medicine now for decades and. Yeah, yeah. And also um, you've know you've been able to see how cannabis has changed, right? Because, you know, you've yeah. grown it, you've known breeders, you've been around it. Have you noticed a difference like. In, in different strains for, you know, say your spasms from being yeah. paralyzed or from, you know, for your cancer treatment. Let's just talk about that for a little while. Yeah. And I think um, that that we talked a little, uh, we jumped into the treatment for my cancer, but I've actually used cannabis um, since right after my accident. Uh, automobile accident back in 1984 that paralyzed me. I noticed that uh, my I had a lot of problems with leg spasm, and that's because of the nature of my spinal cord injury. Um, stuff wants to tell my legs to to walk or to jump or to do something that they're unable to do, so it. Uh, it sends a it sends a signal. That signal doesn't get through because of my spinal cord being severed. So my leg spasm. And if you have ever had like restless leg syndrome, or even just sore legs from working in the garden too much, or a heavy day of uh, snowboarding, whatever, um, you you'll see how hard it is to sleep at night with your legs just constantly spasming, spasming, spasming. So cannabis helped hugely with that. And that was that was really my beginning of of use of medical cannabis. So I was uh what uh two fifteen was in uh, the compassionate care act, uh he says with sarcasm. Was in <laughs> <laughs> was in ninety six. And uh, I started using it in 85, so I was, you know, I was nine years ahead of the game knowing that, that it was, it was uh, medicine. You know, it wasn't 
go to the doctor and be all, uh, what? Marijuana? Why, no. Doctor, I certainly don't. Um, but I've used it the longest and with the biggest, uh, with the biggest effect uh, for the spasms that are related to my uh, being paralyzed. Um, now, I feel emboldened uh, to continue smoking it at twice the pace uh, that I was because that's become my new normal, and I think that it's helping to uh, keep my cancer away. I don't ever want to have my cancer come back, of course. And then the third thing is um, I've been, as, as Jessica knows, I've been in some really horrific motor vehicle accidents, and none of them, none of them were my fault. Um, all of them, or, or almost all of them, were the kind that I should not have even lived through. So I have a lot of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder that uh, manifests itself, uh, especially when I'm driving. Uh, I got hit once by a, a white Lincoln Continental that was fleeing the scene of a robbery. Uh, so uh, now anytime I see out of the corner of my eye a, a large white car, it, uh, you know, it's enough to trigger it. I find that uh, the, uh, the medical effect of cannabis really helps with that. Um, as far as your question of how it changed over the years, um, it's gone from uh, no name to too many names. I, I had I had this talk with Chip. I was like, okay, we've officially run out of strain names when we're calling a strain donkey butter. <laughs> I mean I mean what what is that? <laughs> I know. It's you know, I just feel like no offense guys, but it's it's men who are naming these or young young guys who are naming these strains and they're it is. not really working. It is, but you know, we can. Screw oh, it up sounds here. like your neighbor is running a power tool. Is that what's uh, going on? He maybe oh. just went out and tried it. Yeah, he okay. went out and tried it in the front yard. Now he's now he's going inside. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> crazy out here. I'm telling you. I didn't. Next, I had next, no idea so much happened in your neighborhood every day. <laughs> right. Next thing will be the Blue Jays swooping and. They're very, they're very proprietary of the yard. They don't like me being out in my own yard, so we may get attacked by uh, by blue jays. Um, yeah, you know, back in the back in the day, Jessica, it was like uh, green bud, seedless green bud, and Mexican. There was there was three kinds of and and you'd run up against you know every now and then you would run up against some weed. That oh my god! Oh, hey, I, I, you know the, the, your neighbor's too loud. Okay, let me go inside. Okay. Let's take a break, and I'll go inside. Okay. Um, I had to move uh, inside so I could see what my honey is doing. Because if you don't check on your honey every now and then, you know life just ain't worth living. So yeah, that's that's been my experience uh, with the the biggest change 
the legal market and you know it's they're it's not going so great on the so, on the pri the private market's definitely stronger than the public market right now in California legalization yeah and and this is this goes back to something that Jessica and I were uh giggling about the uh, compassionate care act of 1996 you know th there is no more compassion uh in in cannabis I mean, it, it just has gone away. Is uh, that our new campaign? We're bringing the compassion back to cannabis? Let's bring our compassion back to the Compassionate Care Act. Uh, you know, Dennis now, Perone, another, uh, you know, Jack Carrere, Dennis Perone, those like godfathers of cannabis who really, they, they morphed. They were the beginning of what the industry is today, and I don't think either one of them would be very happy with it personally. I don't but think they would. They would either. Because where is the activism, and where is the compassion, and where is the like? I don't know. It's the it's the new pink shirts, man. It's all the corporate money that's come in that has just taken some soul out of this, you know. And and it's a huge reason why the black market continues to thrive. Because you go to a uh, uh, dispensary and you're paying three hundred to three hundred and seventy five dollars an ounce for what did I say mids you can't get you, you can't even look at your uh, ounce of weed until you get it home. You can't buy an ounce in one package. you have to buy eight different plastic or glass uh, containers to get, get it home in, uh, which adds to the recycling, which adds to the choking the planet in plastic. Uh, and and you, paid, you paid more than what you could have got it from Slick down the street in his little black market operation. Yeah. And and no, I I don't actually know a guy named Slick. There is no guy named Slick. There is um, no guy named Slick. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Greg, I totally appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with? Like any like inspiration about like, what if you're like a young kid who doesn't remember what it was like before, you know, weed was at least socially acceptable wherever they live you know maybe it's california maybe it's somewhere else 
and they're like, hey, maybe I want to get into cannabis. Do you have any advice for them on, you know, anything? Anything just to like, let's leave with something positive about cannabis and what's going on in the world with it today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, uh, you younger people are coming up in a time that people like Chip and Jessica and myself fought for. So don't blow it. Um, and if you are, uh, if you are interested in becoming uh, uh, self-sufficient, there's people like me, there's people like Chip out there that can drop knowledge on you. My buddy uh, Shaheen at 707 Seed Bank. Uh, if you've got if you if you've got a reputable seed company. They've got uh, an email link, and they'll answer questions for you all the way through your thing. But my my biggest uh, my biggest piece of advice would be find yourself a mentor. You know, your dad's cool friend that still gets high, or or your uncle Jim Bob that's got the little grow, you know, out behind the barn, or or just a guy. Just a guy. I mean, we're we're all out there. Our girl, a girl, not to be sexist about it, because there's <laughs> some there's some amazing women out there growing some bomb cannabis right now, um, and women women are are moving into the uh, cannabis business at a rate I don't know, uh, probably double that of men. And and the people who are running those businesses are glad to have them. So so find find yourself uh, a mentor, and squeeze every bit of knowledge out of them that you can. And I um, the one piece of advice that that I'd give people is become self sufficient. You know, don't don't you're you're not limited to paying three hundred and fifty dollars an ounce at some dispensary that you have to drive a half hour each way to get to. You can grow your own cannabis. You can become self-sufficient. I'm in a wheelchair, and I've done it every year for 15 years, maybe missed a year or two because of medical problems, but I, I, I've done it, so you can do it. No, he Was doesn't that... do it, but he shares it with his friends, just saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and what do my friends what do my friends say about my week? That's great. There you go. That's that's. And thank you for sharing. You know, so if it, if it, if I if that's not a positive way to end this this thing, I don't know what is. You can go from Joe Blow not knowing anything, even having to drag along a disability like a wheelchair, and in a short time, people will be saying, yo, let's go over to Greg because he's got great weed. <laughs> that's right. Greg does have great weed. Um, well, that's it, folks. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Greg, for being on. Hey, thank you, Jessica, very much for uh, having me as a guest on your 
podcast. I really uh, appreciate it. I appreciate uh, everything that we were able to share with your friends. And most of all, as always, um, I appreciate your friendship and just love you and chip to death. You guys are the best. Oh, we love you, Greg. We love Elaine and your friendship has really like, I feel like we've been there for each other through some really hard times. And I want to thank you for that too. You're always like so inspiring and you know, even on your bad days, you seem to be really positive. So, you know, that's a talent for sure. That's definitely a gift for everyone. Thank you so much, Greg. Thank you, Jessica. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. Have a great day. It was a great conversation with Greg about what's going on in California and cannabis and just his experiences and a little of his life stories. I think it's important for us to just like, you know, remember that all kinds of people are using cannabis today, um, whether you're like male, female, you don't, you know, adhere to male or female, if you are paraplegic, if you're an athlete, if you are a mom. If you're someone who, you know, wherever you are in life right now, I mean, I feel like cannabis is more accessible than it ever has been before. And um, whether that's just because you have your local CBD shop and or if it's because you have a recreational dispensary right around the corner, um, I just think it's very inspiring what's going on with cannabis today. And talking with Greg always... um, gets me really stoned and also I you know makes me think a, a lot about you know just the world in general so I appreciate that um if you want to find out more about what I have going on you can follow my Instagram pages baker underscore botanica which is more of my herbalism Chinese medicine page and my cannabis page is baker's medical okc um I also have a website bakersmedical.com or bakerbotanica.com So I look forward to getting your reviews, your comments. And um, again, thanks for listening to The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. Mm -hmm.